Come, Holy Spirit, come, Jesus, with the powerful intercession of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, your well-beloved spouse. Come, Holy Spirit, come, come by means of the powerful intercession of the Immaculate your well-beloved spouse. O Mary, seat of wisdom, So we've had a very full weekend. Um, and I guess people can go back who weren't here all went Friday and so one talk Friday, uh, two on Saturday in this closing um, for this sequence here. And just to reassure you, um, I feel pretty certain that God will let me come back and let us continue to talk and work together and, you know, enter more into a dialogue instead of me just speaking um, really, you know, a good exchange moving forward. And help us all get ready. Um, as Father said, I'm I'm doing you know all all I know. This isn't coming from me, but I can I can ascertain a little bit what the Spirit of God wants by what He's doing. So I'm experiencing a, a very powerful um, noticing that God is doing a lot in France. Um, there are these pods of life popping up all over the place. And it's interesting, this phenomenon of the cancellation of an apostle. In our case, I won't name him, but the Archbishop of Paris, very similar to a recent Texan bishop, was canceled. Um, canceled, whatever word you want to call it, preserved by divine providence. Because it's like, who's in control here? You know, I just see it as a gift. And that is what it's been with this Archbishop of Paris. He's traveling all over France now, basically setting up a network of oases it's amazing um just like the texan bishop is the good bishop's doing the same thing you know he's already tried he's just already traveling all over the place it's incredible and um just like saint paul did you know he's visiting the communities and visiting the people on the grassroots level and and fortifying the faithful and guiding a guiding the faithful and it's just it's just glorious to watch how this spontaneous cellular life is taking over the church, you know, in its smallest family hidden, hidden church, the domestic church, the church of the catacombs. And um, I really wanted yesterday I quoted I don't have the page number, you know, from the book that's sitting right behind you, I think, from Cardinal Sarah. The day is spent. Um, and he describes, he uses the word oases, but, you know, we have been, right, that that one right there. Yeah. Just to show it, what book we're speaking of. Um, incredibly prophetic interview. So it's, a, it's formatted like questions and answers. Um, so that makes for a practical reading, I would say. But um, as well as his book, Cardinal Sarah on Silence, you know, either of those mm -hmm. might be something you would head into for for your Lenten season, it's phenomenal to me. Um, and gosh, what a burden it must be on these, on these prelates and these princes of the church. Can you imagine to just be filled with divine life and the wisdom of God and know that you can't share it with anyone? <laughs> they have to be tipped up careful or else they'll just get cut off. And um, because there's a lot of people in the church that think prophecy ended with Malachi or something. And I don't mean Malachi Martin. Um, it's like, you know, yeah, it all ended a long time ago. Well, 
the Lord, thanks be to God, Logos never stops speaking. And he speaks perfectly in his word. And he wants to refresh our memories and open it up. And I cannot tell you enough what a glory it is to just get to know him in the Bible. And bring your Bible, um, physical Bible. Don't rely on your, you know, your iPhone Bible. Actually get your physical Bible and um, shoot, carry it around in your bag, you know, a backpack, guys. I don't know. It's just amazing because he really wants to speak to us. And then certainly the same um, in his living word, which is the most blessed sacrament. You know, and, and if you if you haven't had that up to now, a really intimate blessed sacrament life of um, coming towards the Eucharist, coming to visit him, even if it's 10 minutes, it doesn't have to be these long extended periods. But I would say just exactly like you are with everyone you love. You know, that little, little hi, how are you doing? Just wanted to hear your voice. Hi, I'm here. I just want to see your face. And of course, there's the theology of the face of God, the Eucharistic face of Jesus, that over the centuries, there have been miracles of his face appearing in the sacred host. And every single, there's a glorious consistency in every single scientific study of the Blessed Sacrament. Every time there's a miracle, in case you haven't heard or read about these amazing books, every time there is a Eucharistic miracle. And it is analyzed by high tech, starting with jet propulsion labs at NASA. They did too. Yeah, just like they've done the Tilma and the, Sh and the Shroud of Turin. You know, the, all these scientists, right? Because they, they take it to these forensic labs and, and they all say exactly the same. Male, blood type AB, heart muscle, living heart muscle, heart muscle in distress in great anguish, like incredible, every one of them. So every time you go before the Blessed Sacrament, that's what's beating in that hidden host that St. Thomas, wow, when you read those incredible prayers he wrote, um, from which, you know, the, the sequence that we say at the Feast of the Blessed Sacrament, Corpus Christi, you know, Thomas Aquinas composed and penned these prayers that are that are a full theology of the Eucharistic presence. Um, um, there's just so many, so much that, so many mysteries. And so to really come into your, into your full relationship um, with your beloved, because that's all he's waiting for is your face and face to face. And um, that's what lovers do is they look at each other eye to eye, heart to heart, face to face. And you can do that in the Blessed Sacrament. Wow. You know, we are so incredibly incredibly blessed. Um, so there's really no excuses for us to have to listen to somebody else's prophecy. Let him speak over you. <laughs> he would rather, because because it, it's turned, finalement, finally, it's like, it's gossip, right? If you're reading somebody else's prophecy, it's like, what did he say to you? <laughs> well, he told me that, you know, and it's like, well, you know, if you think of it in human things, can you imagine if you spoke to your husband only vicariously? Well, so what did, what did he say to me today? You know, it was like, well, just ask him yourself. You know? So it's funny. It's funny the way we do things. We don't realize it. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trashing anyone's prophetic word at all to the contrary, but we have all the words we need in sacred scripture and the words that the Lord wants to speak in the silence in that sweet, gentle voice that he speaks in um, when he is looking at us face to face. 
And so we've been talking about uh, the way of the cross. And I have my little silly pictures up here um, that help me hold on to, you know, understanding it and unpacking it. So we have the way of the cross that we talked about on Friday and all that that means and checking my vertical and horizontal connections. How am I bound to what kind of a covenant am I in? Kind of linking, what does my cross look like? Um, are, the, are the cross lines horizontal, vertical, you know, dots? Are they little pointies? Are they solid straight lines? Are they crooked lines? Are they thick? Are they thin? What are the, what is my cross? What is my relationship with God look like? Vertically and then horizontally with my brothers and sisters. And I had written on the first big drawing that the vertical is the wisdom of God and the horizontal is the power of God. And then yesterday we talked a lot about the funnel of truth. And just like any funnel, you know, it's super wide at the top and it gets more and more narrow and things get tight in a funnel. Sometimes that whatever your sugar or whatever you're cooking with and you're using a funnel and you kind of have to shake it to get the stuff to keep going down in the funnel. And that's what the funnel of truth really is. And and every time we're challenged and feeling squeezed, kind of like a baby in the birth canal between the bones at that moment of the passage, it is the passage. It is the Passover, the crossing of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Jordan, the cross of Christ on Calvary. You know, those 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 it's very uncomfortable when when we're challenged. What is that? funnel of truth about well in the bottom line in most simple terms it really is the conformity of my will to god's will mm -hmm. and there's that certainly is part of it but it's living in this strange world uh, filled with deception and deceit and lies and hypocrisy and contradicting things and paradox and having to pick sides you know pilot quid veritas est and that, in fact, that quid is is it harks back to to that mysterious first sentence that our Lord says in the Gospel of Saint John when he calls the first fisherman, and he says he didn't say he didn't say who are you looking for, he said what are you looking for, you know, and it, what what is that? What are you looking for? And then the what are you looking for? In fact, turns out to be a who are you looking for? And it is truth. I'm looking for truth, but that truth is incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, right? And and so that is that is this process that we've been talking about. And then the third word, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And of course, this incredible metaphor that it by itself is worthy of contemplation is the sun. It's not by chance that for centuries, iconographs and artists have depicted the Holy Eucharist as a sun, every one of our, our monstrances always looked like a sun. And what's that about? And, and why does, what, what's the sun do? Well, all I can say is, is I had an incredible Easter Good Friday walk at the Mission Divine Mercy in Texas, probably, I guess it was the 2019, the last one before the COVID, Good Friday of 2019. And I was walking around, we do a walking way of the cross, like the stations are all planted all along the property everywhere and you walk, it takes about close to two hours, and we walk using uh, the contemplations of the poem of the man-god, and um, if you're familiar with that work, and um, so it's it's a long contemplative walk, and for whatever reason, the Lord wanted me to take note of all these tree branches and trees, 
And the state that these branches were in, and these trees were either you know half dead, half alive, some of them vibrant, some of them full on gone. And he starts to say in my heart, look at these branches. There's growing, what are the ones that are growing down towards the earth, towards the world, towards the earth? What do they look like? And I said, well, Lord, they're all dead. All the ones that are growing down, pretty much no leaves on them, no sign of life. And then, and, and what are the ones that are growing up? Well, they're growing towards the sun and they are full of life. And it turned into this huge contemplation of even the plants look for the sun. <laughs> you know, everything is turned to, I think, of a sunflower. That's what they do all day is they just turn around and follow the sun wherever it's going, you know, because that is literally the source of life. You know, it brings us everything. We couldn't survive without the sun. And so this incredible metaphor that we have that Picarita speaks of, that the human will is just absolute darkness and that the sun of the divine will. And again, it's parallel with the Eucharist. So this is really an entire Eucharistic theology. And where do we go to sunbathe? Well, it's in front of the Blessed Sacrament, you know? And we have this scene of Moses, obviously, you know, is the first going to the tent of meeting, the Adoration Chapel for him. And he would come back so brightly beaming and reflecting the light that um, quite simply, everyone said, would you please cover your face? It's, you're too bright. <laughs> too much light coming off and so he would he would put on his his covering now I, I don't know what that would have looked like but he would cover his face and and the lord wants us to do the same and it's it's an incredible silent theology that's just filled with joy and 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 mother mother Teresa of calcutta she ascertained and really understood exactly what was going on with the blessed sacrament and made it part of of her community's habits, their fu daily functioning. The Sisters arrive at rise at six, and from six to seven, they have a holy hour all over the world, wherever they are. And the missionaries go out into the streets. Some of them in India, tons of them don't even speak the language where they are, and they go out into the streets and radiate the presence of Christ's face. They don't even need to talk to people; they just minister to people with their presence, because the face of God is shining on. Them. You know, because they've just come from an hour of adoration. And so it, this is this great Eucharistic mystery. There's no doubt about it. About the glory of God radiating from, from us. And we don't have to even speak. We just are a presence, you know, like a walking monstrance, a walking saborium. A lot of saints have written about that. And so I just sort of those are thoughts for our, our especially Lenten time, if we can but all the time, if we can, you know, develop good habits in our lifestyle and carve out permanent, permanent times, not just Lenten season or Advent season, you know, this, these need to be permanent changes in habits that we make in our identity. That's, you know, that I feel very, we all feel certain that, that are needed. And that was pretty much the subject of the first two days was what do I need to change? I need to check my ties with the world. How worldly am I? What kind of worldly bondage am I in? Do I have idols that I don't realize I have? And just surrender, surrender, surrender. The pruning is very severe. We have no idea because the, the world is inside the church. So you can actually go turn to, to, turn to someone in the church and they're not even going to tell you to let go of the world because the world is in the church. 
So we really, this, we have to go into the desert and let the Lord, like he says in Hosea, speak directly to our hearts to do that house cleaning and to do that radical pruning um, because we are going into a, a time of such purity that, um, you know, we're, we're going to be carried into this purity. Um, I wanted to read from a prophetic word that certain father, Ottavio, made a prophecy. His name is Ottavio Michelini. He was a priest, a mystic, and a member of the papal court of Pope Paul VI. And so he lived in the 70s and 60s. And he received apparently many locutions. I only recently read him for the first time. And I wanted to share this with you because I thought it really described as beautifully as what Cardinal Sarah wrote that I read to you yesterday about the word oasis. You know, that we would say, is this a wilderness? Am I entering into a refuge? Am I entering into an ark? Um, am I entering into a reserve, a preserve? There's so many different words that we can use to describe it. Um, certainly scripture uses the word that we read yesterday from Revelation, verse 6, chapter 12, verse 6 and 14, the word wilderness. Um, scripturally, biblically, it tends to be the word desert. Um, so, you know, to really go into deep in our prayer of what is what does that desert look like? And knowing we'll live there for three and a half years, but in fact, it's just the antechamber to a perpetual purification that is the thousand years, right? A perpetual level of simplicity. Um, so to begin, the sooner we begin to relinquish, release, surrender, things that don't we don't find in the desert. <laughs> um, in other words, I guess the sooner we begin to live like Carmelites or Benedictines or or Capuchins, you know, the sooner we learn to live a little more like Father, you know, it will probably be easier for us, you know, to begin to want to live as a community. These are things that we need to really start to work with is being a community. And obviously we must sacrifice a lot of our independence and our egos and things when you live in a community where we're not used to at all living in community. So what does that look like? Let me read what Father Otavio says. He got this word, uh, locution, December 9 of 1976. And he says this, it will be men themselves who, who will provoke the imminent conflict. Mm -hmm. And it will be I, myself, who will destroy the forces of evil to draw good from this. And it will be the mother, most holy Mary, who will crush the head of the serpent, thus beginning a new era of peace. It will be the advent of my kingdom upon earth. It will be the return of the Holy Ghost for a new Pentecost. It will be my merciful love that will defeat Satan's hatred. It will be truth and justice that will prevail over heresy and over injustice. And it will be the light 
that will put to flight the darkness of hell. November 7 of 1977, he says this, The shoots of the announced springtime are already springing up in all places. Yeah, they are. This is a shoot. It's another name for that, another metaphor, another synonym. The shoots of springtime are already springing up in all places. And the advent of my kingdom and the victory of the Immaculate Heart of my mother are at the doors, just like a baby, just knocking right there at the doors. In my regenerated church, to look closely at that word, regenerate, Genesis. That's a really important word he used. Our Lord could use any word he wanted, but it's regenerate. Pray over what is the meaning of regenerate. So generation like Genesis is something from nothing. You know, only God can generate something. You know, genitum non factum, right? That we say it in the creed. It's generated, not made. It means there's nothing there and there is something there. That's what generation is. That's what Genesis is. So he's going to say, I'm regenerating the earth. So when that fire comes, we talked about it yesterday. And it may, we, I, we're not going to see it because I don't think we can see it. But, you know, when he casts the fire and it purifies and sanctifies, he will spontaneously regenerate. That's the word I got. I will spontaneously regenerate the face of the earth. So that's, you know, it's, it's, that is what the, it's such a mystery every time we hear that word resurrection. Resurrection power, that, that's the finger of God. You know, some people, scientists will tell you, well, it's lightning. Lightning bolts do that, you know. There's, um, they found out a few years ago in a Petri dish, maybe two or three years ago. Or, no, it was pre-COVID, so already mm -hmm. and way back. They were, the scientists were really observing that instant of, of where the, the egg and the sperm um, come together and cause this unity of life. You know what happens in the Petri dish? We put it under an electron microscope. It's a flash of light. There's, there's a spark. You know, the spark of life. And that finger of God is what, of course, you know, crushed and broke, pulled away the stone of, on the tomb. Resurrection power. Why is it that Jesus said in John 11, this mysterious thing, he says, Ego sum resurrectio et vita. And I said, Lord, why didn't you say you were life and the resurrection? He said, because resurrection comes before life. Whoa, because the resurrection is that touch. It's the generative power of God's word. That's what logos is, is resurrection. It's that power. And we have truly, wow, you talk about reverence and awe. That is in the blessed sacrament. You know, it's in the Bible. That power of God, you know, is... With the wisdom of God, that's the cross. It's it's incredible for us to to sit with the word resurrection and regeneration, and that is what the Lord will do. So let us remember that you know, and that's why Jesus took his closest three buddies up to Tabor. He wanted just to give them just a little wisp of what that looks like in his glory. And so the springs of, uh, he's, Otavio is using this verb, regenerate. In my regenerated church, there will no longer be so many dead souls. 
Yeah, we're walking around like the walking dead zombies inside the church. There will no longer be so many dead souls that are numbered in my church today. This will be my proximate coming to the earth with the advent of my kingdom in souls. And it will be the Holy Ghost who, with the fire of his love and with his charisms, which is what we'll be talking about in a little bit, will maintain the new church purified will maintain the new church purified that will be eminently charismatic in the best sense of the word indescribable is its task in this intermediate time referring to the thousand years between the first coming of christ to earth with the mystery of the incarnation and his second coming at the end of time after the thousand years to judge the living and the dead between these two comings that will manifest the first the mercy of god and the second divine justice the justice of christ true god and true man as priest king and universal judge there is a third and intermediate coming that is invisible in contrast to the first and the last which are both visible this intermediate coming is the kingdom of Jesus in souls, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of justice that will have its full and luminous splendor after the purification. Well, St. Bernard de Clairvaux said the exact same thing, and all the church fathers used to believe the same thing, that there was this intermediate coming. And now I don't know when it started. Nobody's like, no, the second coming is, is imminent. And it's like, are you kidding? we got a long way to go. There's this middle spiritual invisible coming that um, used to be was what the church taught. And somehow we got off track and confused, disoriented. And that is what, you know, we're trying to learn now is this intermediate coming. How do I prepare myself for his coming, this glorious spiritual advent that we've been talking about over these past days? And so that is... Um, I thought that was a really, really helpful word. And so, so we come through this funnel, and I described the sword of the Holy Spirit at the top of the birth canal, and the flame of love, the fire, coming at the bottom. So two Pentecostal visitations. Um, the first in way lesser, less degree than the second. Um, most saints, when they talk or speak of the, this Pentecost, this new Pentecost, they're speaking of the fire that Jesus says, I can't wait to throw this fire of charity. You know, St. John Paul II called it the civilization of love that would come out from the fire. Um, I believe we will have to be, we will be hidden. Um, the model biblically is being underground in some form of, you know, in the belly of the earth? Will we be in a cave? Will we be in a, a you know, constructed catacomb situation? The Lord will protect us um, mystically, mysteriously from the natural fire, just as he is pouring the flame of love into us at that moment. I believe the, these two events, these Pentecostal events, because God knows how much we need silence and quiet, I believe that both will be happening in a three days of darkness atmosphere. Do I mean literally three days time? I don't know. 
what do I mean by darkness? Yeah, atmospheric darkness, no electricity. Yeah, dark. Um, like Jonah in the belly of the whale. Um, like Paul when he lost his eyesight. You know, so what what does darkness mean? Um, and so the the these events will at the beginning and at the end of the funnel of truth, so-called, will birth us out into this new world that has been spontaneously regenerated by this, this power, the power of the resurrection. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the law. In that order. He didn't say it the other way around. So I insist upon that. And we will be rebuilding, I would say even continuing what we've already started in these oases, dash wilderness desert dash refuges um you know a lot of people like the the sort of the the visual you know think about that and pray what speaks to you the most it um you know i know with michael we talked about the ark like noah's ark and the idea of an ark as i said yesterday is basically a floating houseboat so it has the qualities of a house and the qualities of something floating like a boat why? Because there won't be solid ground beneath our feet. We won't have that firmness um, momentarily during this birthing process because things will get very shaky. They already are getting shaky. And so that's when it's great to be on this immensely beautiful cruise ship of God's covenant. And we speak of the ark of the heart of Jesus and the ark of the heart of Mary. And um, so be, you know, thinking about how do you get in? How did, how did the animals climb up onto the ark? Well, they use ladders, right? You can, everybody probably can in their mind's eye a picture of Noah's ark. You've seen a drawing somewhere. And on each end, there's ladders. How many saints, starting with we go to, he called it the ladder to heaven. What was the ladder to heaven? Lexio Divina. Um, St. Therese of Lisieux talks about the rosary, you know, the ladder. How many saints? The ladder of Jacob. We've got bazillions of saints who talk about ladders to heaven. Well, it's prayer. So your ladder to get on board is your prayer life. It's that important. You know, we have, you know, I think of all the different kinds of things we use to get on an air, airplane at an airport. You know, sometimes you're out way in the tarmac and you have a pretty rough ladder you have to walk out to. Other times you have a beautiful electrically supplied, you know, pass thing that you can get on your airplane, no, no effort, no, you don't have to climb. But this is certainly, a, this, this prayer ladder, it requires discipline and it's, you have to get, you know, St. John of Climacus, I don't know, there's so many. You can Google um, ladder in Catholic spirituality. See where that, see what that opens up for you. That, but it is about prayer, absolutely. And Lexio Divina. So make sure you've got your ladder is as strong and you know where it's located and what closet you put it and you can pull it out every day and all day and be climbing that ladder. And, and that is where we will be coming into this, to this arc, this platform of restoration and reconquest. And we have a model. And it certainly is the Holy Family from Nazareth. And even that, the Lord gave this incredible mystery of this house from Loretto being transplanted by holy angels 
first to Yugoslavia, then to one location in Italy, and then Kutz third in Ancona, Italy, is this house of Loretto. And there's a church built around the house, but it's literally the house of Nazareth. It's the wall and the roof because the foundation stayed over there in Nazareth. So if you go to the Holy Land, I've never been, but I'm told that the, they know where the foundations are. But the walls and the roof came Ancona, Italy. And that's an incredible, that's one of the biggest miracles, prodigies that I that I know of, is this translation of the, house, the Holy House and of the family of Nazareth. And if we were to stand back and look at their lifestyle and be able to witness it, yeah, it's definitely going to look pretty Benedictine. And uh, Ora and Labora, they prayed and they worked and they prayed and they worked and they ate a wee bit. And then they prayed and they worked and they slept a little bit. And then they prayed some more and worked some more and maybe had in the slack. I mean, it was... It was really about Ora and Labora. It was certainly about the, the work of their life and ministering to people and St. Joseph, what his work was, and Our Lady, what her work was. And it's just, that is the platform. And this platform of monastic family and domestic church, the two inter, intertwining culturally. I'm not speaking of living together. I'm speaking of all of the, the best fruit that we can think of from the monastic lifestyle of prayer. Well, most monastic communities sing, read, chant in English or Latin or their indigenous tongue. Most do at least five offices, you know, the liturgy of the hours. Um, there's all kinds of amazing online things. Maybe that's going to be your new treasure you're going to discover over this Lent. If you've never prayed the Liturgy of Hours, you don't even have to have the books. You can go online, and there's plenty of, um, there's there's a guy, I think, in Oklahoma that's, um, he's chanting them um, online, I think at least seven offices a, a day. I think he's doing all most all of it. So, you know, there's there's that just stopping to pray, and, and, and in fact, never stopping to pray through our work and through our day, sanctifying time and space. That's what the Holy Family knew how to do. It's that full, complete integrating, right, of our spiritual life and our temporal life. There's no, it's seamless. There's no, right now we're disconnected, you know, and the Holy Family, they left in a perfect, they lived in perfect integration. They never separated the prayer from the work and the work just was all, all one. And that is what we're going to be living, I absolutely believe. Um, in these platforms of restoration and reconquest, these places of rebirth and regeneration. And what we're going to discover is something, um, I don't remember who I was talking to yesterday about this. At the end of the Lord's Prayer, we say something called, you know, we have this little add-on. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And so I just want to, before I move on to the next section, how much time? Thirty. Beautiful. Perfect. So, if if you were to to stop on those three words, I just want to put out some thoughts for you to continue contemplating about the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So, when the Lord talks about the kingdom in His Word, He says He uses two two very different words that mean two very different things. And you'll see it alternately in scripture. He says, the kingdom is within you. Well, that's a preposition. That means it's inside. It's inside, it's internal, it's interior. It's, it's within me. It's within you. It's within each of us. 
that kernel, that seed of the kingdom is within, inside, inside the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's where he, that's where he lives, never goes anywhere. Then he says also another preposition, and that's among. Among is an external. Among is between. It's in that space that's between each of us is among. It's a different preposition from within. So if the kingdom of God is within us, it's also among us. So if I have the kingdom of God within me, it's because I'm really hosting the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son in the presence. You've probably all read the practice of the presence of God. Lawrence, uh, St. Lawrence of um, uh, the Resurrection wrote, um, all of the saints tried to understand John 15 to abide, abiding in him. You know, just like he says also in John 17, what is an abode? You know, the place where you live in your intimacy. What is a home? It's where, you know, it's where your heart is. So you're going to abide and stay clinging to the vine and abiding in the Lord. That is really developing, I would say, a culture also, an internal. Um, in the 17th century, late St. Saint, Saint Margaret Mary Alcock, um, she used a lot of the saints for hundreds of years, um, referred to it that practicing presence, as uh, St. Faustina talks about it, um, is being in a state of recollection. To be recollected. That, that word's kind of hard for us to, to use or to understand, but to be recollected. Um, so you know what a collection is. And when you collect things together, I have a collection. It means you're, you're gathering something that's been dispersed and it's all over the place. Wow, are we all over the place? <laughs> Your thoughts are zinging over the parked car to the grocery store to the cleaning list. And, you know, we are everything but recollected. Right. So um, let us try to collect ourselves and gather that which is important. <laughs> Him. And so recollection actually is if we can practice it, you know, practicing the presence. There's so many different ways to express it. But just trying to abide in him, um, that too, like everything, is it's not by our strong arming it that's it's going to happen. It's by the grace of God. So it is a matter of uh, an act of the will to try when we catch ourselves all over the place that we come back and recollect. But I think it is a big grace that we need to be asking for. Um, you know, call on any of your contemplative saints that you love, you know, have them intercede for you at the mass, you know, that we should focus on asking for the graces of recollection, the graces of abiding, um, you know, just to think about that. I think there's nothing more important than, than this presence gets to where it is really powerful, really dense inside us. And it's what I express as opposed to recollection or practicing the presence. I like to call it culture developing and having a culture of adoration, perpetual adoration i can i can wrap my mind around perpetual adoration i've done it in a chapel you know i i know there's chapels i can go to where he is constantly exposed and present to me so i go and make myself present to him but what if i start that adoration just inside 
what if somewhere around my sternum is that Eucharistic sun? And I, and I, and I know that, and I'm constantly ministering to him and I'm walking around with his presence in me. What does that feel like? What does that look like? Can I begin to be a perpetual adorer on the inside? Question mark. Asking for those graces to perpetually adore you and worship you, Lord, on my inside. So that is what the kingdom of God within me looks like. Okay, so I'm going to come over here and sit next to my sisters who all practice perpetual interior adoration. What do you think is going to happen? If they all have a fire inside them, and all of a sudden we sit together on the sofa, the sofa's going to catch fire. <laughs> Have you ever prayed with somebody who's really got the spirit in them? And all of a sudden, we were talking about this yesterday. My sister was witnessing to me about a couple of her friends she prays with. And wow, the earth shakes. That is why God says to us in his word, where two or more are gathered in my name. That's when the kingdom really starts to kick in. And we begin to experience the kingdom power. It grows, it magnifies, it is really increased when we gather. It happens every time you all get together here. You, you, you sense it. And then you get back in your car and you go home and in that kingdom, it's, it's smaller. The, light, the candle's not out at all, but it's just not torched quite the way it was this afternoon. So the idea of when we gather those, when, when we have the flame nice and strong and healthy and we gather, then that kingdom within us, if I'm likening, likening it to a candle, it becomes very powerful, very powerful. Any community who gathers in prayer, who is filled with the spirit of God and his light, his truth and his love, you will at some point when you begin to pray, you will experience God's power. What does it look like? I mentioned the four marks of that power. There are many signs of his power, but the four that the Lord gave us in his word are raise the dead, resurrection power, <laughs> cleanse lepers, we had it today, cast out demons, the glory is too bright, the room is too bright for a demon stick ring, raise the dead, uh, cleanse lepers, cast out demons, and heal the sick. So when you begin to gather, you will experience the kingdom power coming over your group. Um, that is what happens when strongly faithful, charismatic, filled spirit people gather together. It's just the natural consequence of that much of God's presence being there, is his power is made manifest. Okay, So then... When that community continues regularly and gathers and gathers and gathers in that power, just like anything, like a water, you know, you stoke a fire. It's getting the flames get bigger and it puts off more, more heat. You know, this is physics. The exact same thing is happening spiritually when a group, a community is filled with the spirit, regularly meets, gathers and stokes that presence. Then you begin to produce glory. It's radiant, right? Right. We talk about radiant heat, you know, even from a fire. That is what the mission is. You can't stop. What did the what did the first disciple said? Well, we heard, we speak, we nobody can stop us from speaking. 
the, the, the kingdom simply must go out. It goes out to the edges of the universe. What does light do? What does sunlight do? It goes out. You can't stop it. It goes out. When does it stop? It doesn't stop. The rays of light never cease. So with a community that is experiencing the kingdom within, the power among and the glory beyond is going to simply, it will be the natural concept, supernatural consequences of, of your working together, your worshiping together, your prayer together is you're going to become a beacon and, and, and it will radiate and, and people will follow. They'll come in on those rays, just like you would on a pathway, like a footway. And it's a great mystery, but that's also going to be happening in these times of, of refuge that the kingdom within each of us, the power among us, and the glory that goes beyond this building, or this campus, or this site, or wherever, um, is absolutely undeniable. And, and just, it's because God's divine life is, you can't stop it. And that's because it's that much life. So that is really an exciting image and a glorious and amazing image of what's going to be happening here. Um, and it was interesting because without really knowing it, Michael was giving me that kind of, uh, of an instruction as he walked me through this place, um, showing me his, his power factory, you know, and he was telling me about all the different, you know, relay stations for the, what kind of power is it? It's funny. God's sense of humor is so funny. It's solar power. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry. Hello. You know, we're solar powered here. Well, everything you're seeing and doing right here is 100% solar. So it's, isn't it cool? Anyway, the, these these places are are destined for such life, such joy. And um, I wanted to just sort of structure in your minds, begin uh, thinking, perceiving what's going to happen on these in these places. What will we be doing? Do you mind if I sit down? Is that okay? I hope... Um, so yesterday I spoke of a of a teaching that I got one time in my prayer about um, thinking of these refuges, these arcs, as a heart, and a heart that has four quadrants. And on the center core of the heart is the Eucharist, and Eucharistic adoration, adoration is the central core. The hearth of a home is the fireplace, where the fire is. It's right there in the middle. Never goes out. It's being stoked constantly. And then there's the chamber of the Father and everything pertaining to paternity, God the Father. Um, the church hasn't received that much, but there have been revelations, in particular the writings of Mother Eugenia Ravasio, if anyone's ever heard of her, R-A-V-A-S-I-O, Mother Eugenia Ravasio, God the Father Speaks. Um, there's somebody in Australia that has the full corpus of her revelation she received from God the Father. Um, it's somebody in Australia, so you can access it on the internet and read all of those writings. They're just beautiful. God the Father speaks. You'll really like that. And um, everything, paternity, you know, all, all of that paternity that's been crushed and even the identity of St. Joseph. And all that men are meant to transmit, which is blessing. Women transmit nurturing. Men's eucharism is blessing, blessing, blessing. And, you know, if we don't have a father's blessing, we don't have a clue who we are. You know, if you've never been blessed by your father or known a father to bless you. 
Father, would you bless me? That's what we say to our priests, you know, and we don't ask them to bless us enough. And, and you know, you father fathers, um, spiritual fathers, biological fathers, you know, the blessing of a father is essential. How many children are orphans and never known that blessing? Um, these are the things that will be healed in these places of refuge. And these are the things that will happen in that, you know, God the Father is our creator and, and from whom our faith flows, our blessings flow. So we're going to have a lot to learn and restore our memory of paternity in a really basic way in that space dedicated to God the Father. God the Son, as I said yesterday, is 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 truly the, the place of the priesthood and the formation of sonship and um, all that filial love of a son. That's what that word means in Latin. Feast, a son is a filial, is a sonship. And that filial love, um, piety, for example, and all those gifts and fruits of the Holy Spirit, piety is, is filial love. It's it's just that tenderness that we have towards as a child, you know, towards as a son or a daughter of, of the father. Um, so that in the space of the son, it's really the sacramental life. So it'll probably be a chapel with an, uh, maybe a, like a, a right next to it, a you know, right touching adjacent to it or connected to it would be most definitely a place for confessions and probably a restroom for a resting place for the priest to even momentarily lie down. They may not be sleeping very much, um, but you know, alternating between confession and the Holy Mass. So it's really a sacramental space. Then the third being the place of the Holy Spirit. This is something you can already start. We can start working on this maybe this summer here. Um, the place of the Holy Spirit is really a prayer room. You know, it's a cynical it's, there's so many different words. How, it's a house of prayer, a room of prayer, a space where prayer, um, charismatic prayer, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the anointing, you know, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, praying, singing, you know, really worship. There's an incredible book by a guy named Terry Law, who's up in Oklahoma. I don't even know if he's still alive, but, you know, absolutely, you know, evangelical Protestant. But he had a, a, this beautiful book that he's written if you want to get a hold of it, if you feel like you have a charism of praise, there are seven different words in Hebrew for praise. And it goes for the whole gamut from very um, praising and worshiping can be loud clanging of cymbals and shouts and hollering to Lula, to Yada. You know, there's all these different words that we even use. There's seven different varieties of praise. And, you know, a book like Terry Law just really opens your mind to all of that is praise. You know, you may have only seen certain types of praise. Well, there's a whole variety of, of ways the Lord loves to be praised with. Terry Law is the, is the author of that book. Maybe it's the language of praise. I can't remember. Um, but so that space of the Holy Spirit will also be, be a place of prayer ministry, intercessory prayer healing prayer, deliverance prayer, because um, that's what we as laity go all the way up to deliverance and through deliverance and healing. The concept of deliverance and healing go hand in hand, just like two intertwined fingers, you know, and hands. And in Greek, it says pleroma, which is the infilling and kenosis, the emptying. I want to empty whoever is in front of me that I'm praying with, including myself. I want to empty myself of the spirit of the world. I want to empty myself of whatever is an ungodly presence. 
And simultaneously, he did this with St. Margaret, um, St. Mary Magdalene. Can you imagine the danger of, of throwing out, fully emptying out like a glass, just emptying something totally out like a, a person and casting out all the demons, super, there's nothing left. Well, what's in, what's in there? If I haven't simultaneously refilled it with God and the spirit and the Holy Spirit and goodness and virtue and all, you know, faith and hope and love, then that person is wide open. Who's the, who's the prince of the air? Satan. Satan is the prince of the air. You know, so if I'm just lying around wide open, empty, and I'm fresh, and there's a clean slate, but I'm not filled with God, I'm in a pretty dangerous position right there, which is one of the reasons why yoga is very scary, you know, in my mind, because I've read Eastern stuff, and I know that the whole purpose of Nirvana is emptying, and I'm supposed to get as empty as possible and just vacant. Mm. It says in scripture, where do the demons go into the desert places? High Egypt, yeah. If you're lying on a mat next to somebody who's totally new age and you're there going, I'm empty, I'm empty, I'm empty. Whoa, be careful. <laughs> That's not a good place to be. You need to be filled with the precious blood of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the presence of God. You know, So when we are in this ministry, it's this beautiful, beautiful organic movement of emptying someone and filling, emptying and filling, emptying, filling. You know, it is said that St. Mary Magdalene was, was delivered of seven demons. It took Jesus probably all three years. He just gently did it, you know, hurt the ministry. And so we'll be doing really a lot of that, I believe, in these refuges, in these oases. You know, so yeah, if you feel called to intercessory prayer, if you feel called to ministering and healing and deliverance, you know, the, let, let's get us all formed up and trained up and equipped and ready to be a prayer team. You know, because there will be a space here where that will be happening. Praise, worship, you know, and, and intercessory prayer in terms of healing and deliverance, which again, you're not just a healer or a deliverer. You do both. They necessarily go together because you're infilling and emptying at the same time. Um, so that would be the third area. And then the fourth is our ladies area in these four quadrants, everything pertaining to a mother, all of the nurturing she does, the body, the food, the dress, the clothes, the sewing, the teaching, the school, the rudimentary, you know, what, what kind of academia will our kids need? Well, it used to be the, the three R's, you know, reading and writing and arithmetic, just basics, but it'll be way more, you know, kids are going to need to learn wherever their, whatever their formation, where whatever they seem that God has put inside every child. Um, so sort of leanings, you know, inclinations to cook. Others want to sing. Some want to be ballerinas. Other guys want to work in gardens. Some people want to work in horses. You know, there's some people want to work with wood. Some others want to be, you know, metal workers and, and do. It's just incredible how God puts these inclinations in us. And as a community, all of our children, first to the, they belong to the family, to the parents, you know, amen, subsidiarity, but they also belong for the discernment of the community. You know, so we're watching our kids collectively. You know, it's just like what's happening here. You know, this baby is in someone else's arms. That's what's supposed to happen. That's what happens. You know, ask any African what, what, how, who raises the kids. You know, and silly Hillary Clinton, I think, is the one that coined that sentence. It takes a village, you know, but no, it takes a community and it takes, 
it takes the Holy Spirit and us being eyes out for the uh, you know each other. I, last weekend I was at Sanctus Ranch and a, a mother um, Jennifer look, looked was looking out at this room. It was like a reception, and there were kids all over the place, and they started to get a little excited because there was a lot of sugar around and cokes and candy and cookies and stuff, and people were getting a little wired. And this one toddler, barely walking, was totally on its own. The mother, God bless her, was momentarily engaged for just a few seconds in a pretty good conversation. And Jennifer, she saw it and she just went over there and that child became hers. Instead of the kid crashing and hitting its head on the table, which was just about to happen, Jennifer bolted up and said, hold on just a second. We were talking. She jumped up just like a mom and grabbed this child that wasn't hers. You know, that that's what community does. You know, that's what we do for each other. And so that that too is part of this of this living living uh, together, um, and so the four quadrants of the heart of the Blessed Virgin Mary is everything from literally school, literally teaching, um, transmitting um, knowledge, uh, you know, basic knowledge. Um, let me come over here to just kind of jolt my memory of some of the many points. I'm not going to write all this just so you can begin to kind of absorb it and think about it. Um, we're talking about discipleship, mentoring, fellowship. People are going to be called to apostleship, prophecy, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists. That is the fivefold ministry that is given in Ephesians that St. Paul talks to talks about, that you'll hear our Protestant brothers and sisters talk about nonstop, the fivefold ministry. Are you wearing an apostle's mantle, a prophetic mantle, a teacher's mantle, a pastor's mantle, or an evangelist's mantle? You know, those are things that we need to discern in the body of Christ together. Let me just throw out some ideas of streams. You know, living waters flowing from within us, streams of life that would come to life over not only these three and a half years, those streams would begin to flow, but they will most certainly flow fully, actively, intensely in the thousand-year reign of peace. Think about a school of virtue and human formation. A school of the word of God and Bible formation, Lexio Divina. A school of prayer, adoration, and reparation, mental prayer, prayer from the heart. A school of catechesis and faith formation. I don't know if anyone over here is familiar with the catechesis of the Good Shepherd. Um, if nobody is, maybe somebody could try to get formed in it around here to be able to transmit that because it's it apparently from the anointing that I see on it in different countries, it's, it appears to be what God wants. This catechesis, the Good Shepherd, he seems to be really pleased with it. It's um, kind of hands-on Montessori style. You know, it's not just mental. You memorize stuff. It's you do it right. So you know that's something somebody should claim and say, I'm stepping up to bat. I'd like to be formed in that. Um, a school of service in grace and mercy, caregiving. You know, we'll be, people will be aging. You know, do, do, or do you have that call to caregiving to people who are aging, people who are infirm? Are we going to have sick people? Not much. 
you know, we might have a wee bit, but I think the Lord through the Eucharist is and through the sacrament is going to be healing. You know, I don't think illness is necessarily bodily ailment, but we will age. <laughs> and, you know, caregiving, there are people that have that call. Absolutely. Um, so looking for these inclinations in each other and confirming and affirming, affirming, you know, and, and, and so forth. A school of communication and transmission. How do we, you know, speaking, it's almost rhetoric, you know, and speak people that communicate and helping people learn to communicate face to face and transmit things. There's so many ways to communicate and transmit. You can, you can sing it. You can draw pictures. You can dance it. You can play it like a, a you, you know, you can act it out, you know, transmitting and communicating is, it's not just words at all. You know, it's gestures, it's sign language. I mean, it's, wow. So there's lots happening in school of communication and transmission. Marriage preparation, school of covenant formation, as I said from reading Hosea, that first day, chapter two, those seven words have been so completely skewed in our present time that we don't have a clue what it is to be in covenant with fidelity and mercy and goodness and righteousness. We don't have a clue. So we need to learn again what those words mean. That's the school of covenant that I'm talking about. You know, Here is where I would put the theology of the body. I would put the theology. So who amongst us is, is really on fire to learn and to transmit and form people in the theology of the body. Um, but, the covenant is is right now it's not been integrated we think the covenant is in our mind or the covenant is in some emotional spot in the heart well it's actually in your temple it's the theology of the body you know jp2 is extraordinarily you know, mystical and, and prophetic in that whole thing so that is i would call that a school of covenant formation um Healing and restoration, I've already mentioned that in, in the Holy Spirit room, but that's something we'll be trans is restoring and healing people to the fullness of their true identity. I was given a writing and I'd love to teach it, preach it sometime soon to y'all so you can hear what it is. It's called Healing in the Covenant and there's seven sections to it. And basically the concept being you have your full identity that through your baptism and practice of sacramental life, you are what John Paul II always, he coined this phrase. He obviously got it in, in prayer. Become who you are. Become who you are. And he said it all the time in his talks. He, it was like almost a leitmotif in his speeches. Become who you are. Well, we're so disoriented. We don't, have, we don't even know who we are. So we first have to learn who we are <laughs> in the covenant school. And then we can fully transform and become that, right? So that is, um, that is really what the healing and deliverance is about, this mystery of knowing who we are as a child of God. We're baptized. We stay that way and stay clear and clean in, in our identity through the sacraments. That's what they're there for. And then we get off target because we get these wounds. And then we fall into putting bandages on our wounds, which is what we do. But instead of going to see the right doctor who's in there at the chapel, we... Mm -hmm fill these wounds with what's called sin and vice to where they're festering and it's just a mess. And then this, the third, that's the third pole. And then we come into this, to this birthing process. You can't be born either spiritually from above or naturally here below without a mother 
And so here's the Our Lady of Sorrows is a template for an entire plan of, of healing us. We'll discover in the healing of through Our Lady of Sorrows. To my knowledge, the only person I've ever heard that has received that charism and that understanding is Father Chad Ripperger. He has a strong devotion and he understands who Our Lady of Sorrows, his community priest is called the Dolorance, the Sorrowful Priests, because they're with her and right there in that matrix of healing and new life in rebirthing. And then you come back out of that process of seven sorrows and you find the signs of the seven signs of healing that people are feeling connected. People are feeling positive. They're feeling hopeful. They're, they're not, no longer feeling shameful. And then you come out and what do people naturally inclined to do when they're coming out into healing, they get so hungry for virtue and they want to live a good life and they want to learn about the, about the seven, you know, get well, the gifts of the Holy Spirit that'll come in a minute, but they want to live a life of virtue. They want to conform themselves to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And there are these, you know, seven the, the healing that happens through the cardinal virtues. There's seven of them. And then once you begin to live a life of virtue, the Holy Spirit can't help himself because he says she looks just like the best, my blessed wife, my spouse, the Mother Mary. And she says that of men, too. And the Holy Spirit sees this virtue blooming and blossoming and flourishing in a soul. And so he just pours himself. And then here come the seven gifts. Does everybody have all seven? No, but a lot of people have probably most of them. You know, in the fullness, are we supposed to have all of the gifts? I suppose we are, because God is a God of super abundance. So then you've come through this full cycle of seven sections. And it's what I call or was given in Pentecost of 2015, um, the covenant healing. It's an entire system. It's not a method. It's not kneel bow, you know, un unbound Lozano. It's not somebody's technique of prayer. It's a system. Uh, it's an entire theology of the covenant that is meant to be the vessel for us to abide in. And in the fullness of the truth of our identity, who we really are. So then you'll have the Holy Spirit coming in and you circle right back. It's, I'm showing it like it's a line, but it's actually a giant circle, right? Like a ring and a, a covenant. And you start back out with your seven sacraments that maintain, you know, it's just like going to get your car tuned up. You know, you are maintained in your true identity through the seven sacraments. That's all we need. And at some point in these three and a half years, I venture by the time we get to three and a half years, we won't even be needing any of the other stuff. We won't even be needing healings of wounds because we will have flowed through these sevens over the three and a half years. We may do a, a program every seven weeks, every seven months. I don't know. Every seven days. You know, we could just go through and they're having a great time. So that is that that is another school of healing and deliverance. And, and like everything, it's a, a vocation. Um, there are going to be musicians, people who praise, worship, liturgy. There, you know, there'll be people that are really called that. In the School of Mary is also hospitality, cooking school, gardening school, Our Lady's Pantry, gardening, provisions. Somebody's going to need to organize all of the provisions of that what we eat. Are we going to continue gardening? I think so. But I think we're going to, our food, our food style will be extraordinarily simple. You know, we'll be eating what is growing in that season, obviously. Um, but we'll be fed predominantly by the Eucharist. But I, I think that um, there's also someone called St. Hildegard of Bingen. If you're familiar with her, uh, 13th century, she has an entire manual for our physicians here. If you don't know about Hildegard, her, her, her manual, it's about that thick. 
um, I don't know. We can research who's the best translation. She wrote in medieval German, and it's yes, it's in English. Um, but the the manual of the medical manual of Hildegard of Bingen um, is 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 a must. So I think you know, and this is everything from herbs, plants, all the medicinal remedies that God put on his his Ezekiel garden. You know, when you read that passage of the the river, the miraculous river. And it says the plants growing on each side of the river for every month of the year, every season, you know, all those medicinal plants. It's just amazing. So there'll be people, if you feel you have a vocation to any of these things I've just named, you know, keep asking the Lord, where do you want me? This, I said yesterday, is going to be one of the main fruits of the illumination of conscience. You're going to understand which one of these schools you're supposed to work in, where, where you're supposed to serve. In case you, in case you're not clear of it, you probably already kind of know where your inclinations and skills and talents are. You know, some of you are more manual, some of you are teachers, some of you are caregivers, some are cooks. You know, there's, all I know is the fullness of everything will be present here. You're going to have every charism, you're going to have every virtue set, skill set. It's, it will be the fullness. And that, that too is part of Eden. It's not just about plants and vegetables and, and deer roaming around. You know, it's, it is the fullness of our identity and vitality and are we going to sleep much? I don't even think so. I don't even know if we need sleep. You know, I mean, look at this guy. He just doesn't sleep. He just works. And it's like, how? I don't know. It's the grace of God. It's not normal. <laughs> I love him. <laughs> Hospitality, <laughs> cooking school, nurturing the temple of the Holy Spirit, Our Lady's Pantry, gardening and provisions in these last five minutes. St. Joseph Workshop. I don't know if y'all seen the workshop, but it is one wild place. It's incredible. It's, I only know what's going to, it reminds me of Santa's workshop. You know, you imagine <laughs> there's going to be all these elf children and everyone, construction, grounds, maintenance, repairs, building, word working formation. There'll be a store because I imagine people are going to come from all over the place to come shopping up here because nothing is ever, the provisions are never going to go down, you know, and, ah, amazing. Building, masonry formation, pioneer handiwork formation, sewing, candle making, soap making, canning. School of Charisms and Community Building. This is my favorite probably because I guess it's where I'm supposed to be planted to grow. Um, I know of something called St. Catherine of Siena Institute in Denver. If you're interested in learning about the charisms. So charisms have nothing to do with your talents and skills. Charisms are free gifts that are given in to individuals for the building up of the church. You only have a charism according to your mission. Like if you're supposed to teach, you're going to have a charism of teaching. You know, um, it's, it's the charisms right now, people, um, father said it and it's so spot on. There's a whole bunch of faults. You know, I can tell, I can say, oh, I need to be a singer. Is that really my natural God-given gift for whatever, you know, I can force it. I have heard people forced jubilatio, forced singing in tongues. I have, I have, I've seen false, um, false counterfeit charisms in action because everything the Holy Spirit does is beautiful. It is harmonious and it is perfect. I've heard people so-called singing in tongues and it gets where, oof, you want to close your ears. It's not even harmonious. It's not beautiful at all. <laughs> it's totally forced singing. You know, it's incredible. You know, these sounds that come out of people's mouths. And it's like, that's not from God. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. But anyway, the School of Charisms and Community <laughs> Building is 
is is we're helping each other, just like St. Paul so clearly says, to build each other up as a body, articulated, working together, not fighting each other. And so if you imagined a school, um, a school school could be even literally the Trinity Institute, a traditional curriculum, just throwing these ideas out and see, you know, how you receive them. Traditional curriculum of reading, writing, and arithmetic, supplemented by arts, crafts, vocational training, liturgical training, catechetical formation. The Institute will deploy a Trinitarian structure of participation, communication, and integration, wherein the human person grows and learns through Christian witness in mind, body, and spirit. It's called integrated, integrated learning. Pillar one, virtues, is something internal. Pillar two, values, external. Pillar three, vocations, trades. These are all the things that we're going to be nourishing and looking in all over the place. We have the eye. You come to your friend. Have you noticed that your son, Peter, seems to have a charism of? And the mom is going to start crying. Oh, wow. You're so right. Honey, what do you think? To the father. It's been in my heart for 10 years. That is what the community discerns. That's what corporate discernment looks like and sounds like. Building each other up. So formation taking place in the home through the family. Virtues are inculcated internally within the family context by the development of habits. Virtue. That's all these folks do in this household. Instruction. It's not the same thing from formation. Instruction, however, takes place in something we call schools. We use teachers. Where in that space, values, that's why the communists want to take over our schools. They want to inculcate values, something external, values, within the educational context by the development of acts, actus, right? And then the third pillar of education, educating, so I've said formation, instruction, and education, takes place in the community. It's what the example I just gave a second ago, through professionals, adults, people, people who have a certain learning or expertise or skill. Vocations are inculcated through the apprenticeship of trades and skills, through training within the workplace or the enterprise or you know the workshop up top or the kitchen. So this is the, kind of the big picture of what these thousand years are going to be. We're going to be setting up communities all over earth that look like what I just read to you, that Christocentric and cruciform, Christocentric and cruciform. And through him, through Christ, and I end with this, is Canticle of Colossians, Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, through him, the whole structure, the whole structure is held together and grows into a temple sacred to the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place an abode, a place of God in the spirit. So that is St. Paul's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 21, 22, which to me, I think needs to be like in a poster in every room of every house. That that sentence, I'll read it one more time because it's just like Ephesians 2, verse 21, 22, and I'll say it one more time. And in, in that, through him, the whole structure is held together and grows into a temple sacred in the Lord in him, Christ, you also, in the Lord, are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Gosh, Paul got that in, in prayer. 
Nobody, he didn't pick up a scroll and read that, you know, it's like, that's revelation. That's what it looks like. Just these flashes, you know, and the Lord wants to speak over every single one of you, you know, go to adoration with your, your white sheets of paper wide open, you know, in your heart and just, you know, don't, even, yeah, you know, anyway, he has lots to say to us all. And I've just shared a wee bit of, of the pieces and pearls that have come into my person. Yeah, pretty predominantly sitting in front of Blessed Sacrament. Not exclusively, but for the majority, I would say. But also when you start to abode in the vine in him and, and, and be on the vine, he talks like he's very loquacious, you know. He talks all the time. He has lots to say. Because his word is life, right? Mm. His word does what it says. So he just all he wants to do is speak into us constantly because he knows that that's where our life is. And you'll be stunned at how much he has to say to you, you know, and but if we're not listening and we're not hearing and we're not receiving it, then go straight out into someone else, I guess. Because it says that the word, it says in Isaiah, it says that the word, it, whenever it's put out, it it doesn't go, it doesn't disappear. It it goes, it gets planted where it can bear fruit. So thank you, there must be some mega saints out there <laughs> Un, unknown to us all. But um that is what this life is going to look like over these thousand years, bringing our will into his will and um, learning to live fully like Father Otavio describes in the charisms and um, building each other up, you know, just like St. Paul had a vision for the community, especially as he talked to the Colossians and I, I'm sorry, the Corinthians in particular. And I think because I, I hear and I understand that, Apparently Corinth was very spirit-filled. And so he must have seen something in the in the community in Corinth, um, in Greece, that was very open to the spirit. And he, he insisted a lot on things he said to the Corinthians and those two letters were very specific compared to things he said to in the other letters. Thank y'all. God bless you. And um, may the Lord just um, grow whatever he's planted in every one of us may these little mustard seeds that he planted this weekend we just ask you lord to water them and to feed them and you are the most perfect gardener there ever was and we just invite you to um, we just surrender our soil we just surrender it to you in whatever you've planted here this weekend and we're on the cusp of spring coming eventually soon and we just thank you, Lord, for the rain that you're doing, this beautiful, gentle, misty rain. And it's it's a sentence, Lord, that you've been pulling out a word that I'm going to just speak over this group of people here right now because you keep saying it to me. And it's just the most beautiful word there is. And it's like the dew fall. That you would let that celestial dew fall upon all of us when we sleep, when we wake, when we're together, when we're apart. Just let that, like manna from heaven, Lord, just just gently let that dew fall come upon us and gently penetrate our souls and just begin to grow and that we would just be stunned at this, this flowering, that this incredible vine that you've grown, that you're growing in each of us and that we would, yes, make new wine here and wherever we are. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name as we pray to our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, 
thy will be done on earth as it is in Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever. Amen. Praise be Jesus Christ. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.